Okay, everyone, I think we're ready to start. Um, I'll do a quick introduction first. My name is uh, Peter Jalsby. I work in Fernley Securities uh, on the equity research team. Um, and today we have Hans Veringa of uh, Team Tankers. We have Bar Keller of uh, Kembulk. And we have Bjorn Christian of Oddfjell. Um, so as a quick backdrop to this market, I think it's fair to say it's been, it's been challenging for some years now. And I want to start with a bit of an open question. Um, if we think about how this market is going to develop going forward, could you, Bart, perhaps start and, and just give us your brief outlook for the next 12 to 24 months? Sure, no, no problem. Uh, I think you look at the fundamental supply-demand side and, and you do see where it's been very supply-driven and, and with excess supply coming into the market, but you see that in terms of a significant deceleration this year with uh, supply growth in the 2 to 3% range and, and further decelerating from there. Um, demand hasn't been an issue. I mean, the, the, the relative strength of demand in the chemical market, it, it's a GDP plus um, end market demand and with a ton mile kicker on top of it. You can often debate whether it's 4%, 5%, potentially higher, but um, that dynamic still existing. And, and if you think about it, really chemical demand ultimately is a number of different end markets and really related to industrial production. Uh, I would say the one other key thing that we're in particular focused on is just the interplay between product tanker and chemical demand, or chemical tanker demand, and, um, and then on the supply side, that swing tonnage. And, uh, and so in the weaker markets and as the product tanker market was under pressure, uh, you see more vessels coming into the chemical trade and in trading in some of the easy chemicals and the veg oils. And uh, in the recent strength, we've seen that in terms of tonnage exiting the direct competition for our fleet. Um, in general, it tends to be a lag that's about three to four months, um, statistically at least, and so a, a portion, let's call it one or two quarters. And, and so, uh, so we're excited, obviously, about the, uh, the acceleration on the product tanker side um, from the seasonal strength that's experienced and then going into 2020 as well. Thank you, and Bjorn, you and Oddfield have been quite vocal about you know, what's happening on the organic side out, out of both the US and Middle East. Could you go into a bit more details of perhaps the, the key trades and, and products that you are so positive about? Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the organic chemicals and that, that is correct. You know, it's the, that's the carbon-based chemicals. So all the changes happening in the oil and gas space uh, for the last years have in full impacted uh, chemicals as well, uh, obviously. Uh, but what we have seen for the last years, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, the challenging part uh, <laughs> of the chemical tanker trade for the last 10 years is that we have seen a lot of replacement of import volumes into the US and the Middle East because of their expansions. So, uh, so that hasn't impacted uh, our markets negatively. Uh, but we are now at the cusp of where that imbalance is turning in own owner's favor, where suddenly the vessels coming in to the US uh, in the last couple of years have been able to, in theory, load uh, the same amount of volumes out, uh, out of the U.S. again. Uh, and that imbalance is now shifting, meaning that the vo uh, vessels coming in with cargo, suddenly you need you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten vessels on top of that because of that uh, expansion growth. Um, and we're talking about not necessarily a huge amount of uh, different products. We're talking about methanol, ethylene glycol, styrene, uh, phenols, etc. Uh, and this is a you know a feedstock uh, play out there where you know the chemical producers uh, cost is you know 70 to 80 percent feedstocks, so so uh, you know it, it is rational that they're investing heavily in the U.S. and also in the Middle East. Um, so so we're seeing you know taking 
the number game here. I mean, uh, quoting Clarkson's uh, export estimates, we're talking 15 million tons, of which 7 million tons are going out of the uh, US, 8 million tons out of the Middle East. We're talking about a 250 million ton market. Uh, adding the mile component, for you guys good with numbers, we're talking a 900 billion ton mile uh, demand market. So if you take those 15 million tons moving out of the US and the Middle East, sailing 6,000 miles and 10,000 miles, we're talking roughly, you know, in the next 18 months, 10 to 20% demand growth for chemical tanker demand as a whole. Uh, so we are really entering, you know, into uncharted territory. We've never seen that before. Uh, but I think looking into what has happened in other shipping segments based on the revolution we've seen on the, in the energy space, uh, it will be, you know, exciting times, uh, you know, ahead, I think. Thank you. And Hans, you have a bit different fleet composition than, than uh, Bjorn Christian and Oddfjell. Do you have any things to add in terms of how you see the market going forward? We're about 50-50 between uh, chems and uh, product. Uh, I hope they're right. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, the products seem to be uh, turning a little bit faster than the uh, chemical uh, products. Uh, I think the, you know, the outlook, certainly 2020, looks pretty good. I, I think I'd like to add one thing of the here and now. Uh, despite the trade wars, uh, which is leading to some shorter uh, trade lane traffic, we still expect to see about a 2% increase in the average voyage duration in 2019. It was predicted to be higher, but it's still two, maybe somewhere between 2 and 3% positive. So that's very good news that the trade war, at least from a ton-mile perspective, is not having that big an impact and that it's still uh, on the positive side. Uh, the rest, you know, demand is not really the problem, GDP plus, but here that ton-mile growth is very helpful. Um, other than the European fleet, which is a pure chemical fleet, 60-plus uh, percent contracted, uh, but much stabler than the deep-sea business, we haven't seen the ups and downs uh, in the last uh, market, uh, or not to the same uh, extent. Um, with the deep-sea fleet, we're going to participate in that swing tonnage. Uh, we're about 60-40, 50-50, around those two uh, product and chems. Um, and why do we think the uh, product will uh, accelerate? I think there's also the 2020 effect. There's going to be a big uh, dislocation of crude and products, where low sulfur crude is going to be moved to refineries that, can, that need it, and high sulfur crude is going to be moved to refineries that can deal with it. It's not happening very much today because sulfur doesn't have a negative cost. Uh, that's going to change January 1st, but there's going to be inertia, so people have to act earlier. We're going to see that effect, I think, start coming in the third quarter, and the same is also true uh, on products. And this will take product tankers out of the chem uh, area uh, because there's a lot of uh, CPP that needs to be moved. Compliant fuel absolutely is also going to be uh, based on uh, marine gas oil, uh, and that's not going to be in the location where it's needed. So there's going to be a lot of movement which the MRs will profit from, and that's good news for us on the product side, but I think it's also good news for us on the chem side because we're going to see swing uh, tonnage move out. Uh, so we, uh, we think that's... Uh, you share the view. Yeah. Perfect. And, you know, you all are positive, and, and Bart, you mentioned GDP plus in terms of demand, and I guess when you think of, 
chemical tankers, that's what a lot of investors and analysts have focused on, is, is what, what's happening on the GDP side and the macro backdrop. I think now we're seeing you know, some weaker macro data points out of the Eurozone. There's talks of, of you know, lower growth coming out of China. So basically two questions here. One is GDP growth a strong and a good proxy for chemical tanker demand? And two, is it um, something you're concerned of? So I think one, in terms of as a proxy, if, if you look at just the underlying chemical demand before you, you get to the actual chemical tanker demand, yes, GDP and, and historically, if you track it, there's been times where it's been you know, multiples of GDP or a fractional multiple of GDP. Uh, I still think quite reasonable. And if you think about the chemicals in terms of touching so many different end markets, you know, housing, automotive, pharmaceuticals, uh, I mean, true wide range. And then the fact that the vessels also can deliver product from the veg oil market and, um, and, and to Han's point, the, uh, the clean trade as well. So it is, it is a much larger sphere. Um, so we, as, as we thought, think about China, for example, and in the trade war implications, I think we're focused more on that from a macro perspective and, and impact on the global economy as opposed to the direct trade flow perspective of, of for example, U.S. Gulf to China. Um, we've seen some examples where, uh, you know, alternative trade routes have developed and you'll see it go to a different Asian economy, um, maybe similar to years ago with ethanol in terms of splash and dash or distribution amongst Asia. And I think that's something that very much still has to sort out. Uh, so. You know, we, we always have to be cognizant. It's it's the macro economy. Um, if the macro economy slows, um, there could be a marginal change in terms of the ultimate chemical demand, but still relative to chemical tanker demand versus the supply, um, we're still quite positive under a range of different scenarios. Maybe yeah, just sure. to jump in, I don't want to belittle the uh, the macro uh, picture, but and and there will be some variation. But it really, for the next two years, is a supply side issue. And that's locked in. Uh, you can't order a ship that will deliver in the next two years. So we know uh, what the uh, supply side is going to be. I think there's some optimism that it may be a little bit better, better than that, because we are going to see some scrapping of older ships because of ballast water, uh, non-economic ships, and so forth. People are not going to put the money in. So it could be a little bit better, but certainly the new building side uh, is not going to change for the next two years. That's locked in. And I think what is also locked in is that it's the Middle East Gulf and the US Gulf that are by far the most attractive parts of the world to produce chemicals, both specialty and intermediates. And in both cases, that's really good for the ton mile story. That's going to increase ton miles for only the second or third year in the last 15. Right? So trade war or not, that is going to have a huge impact. US Gulf, obviously a long way to all markets. Middle East Gulf, because you have to position ships into the Middle East Gulf because there's such a big imbalance. You're ballasting in, so it's a sort of a double whammy effect. Supply side, uh, ton miles, uh, I think, are the two big drivers for the next two years. Perfect. And Bjorn, you had a comment? Yeah, I just think it's important to move a little bit away from you know, the GDP multiplier when it comes to chemical tanker demand. Uh, the reason being that there are huge changes going on in the chemical industry over the last couple of years. And if you look at just the last five-year history, uh, it has completely disconnected. 
And that is because of the US expansions, it's because of the Middle Eastern expansions, it's also because of the Chinese expansions, where they're lowering their imports of various products. So I think it's, uh, we shouldn't you know, look ourselves uh, and look too much in the rearview mirror based on the major changes uh, impacting our markets. Um, and uh, I think also based on the production side, how much will be seaborne traded, how much will be domestically consumed will change a lot. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, the GDP multiplier, yes, it still stands for end-user uh, demand of chemicals, but for shipping demand, uh, we need to look at that in a totally different, uh, with a totally different uh, angle. Thank you, and, and I wanted to touch on, on one more thing, and that's uh, that's the oil price, and as you're all aware, it's been, been some volatile years now where, you know, Brent is trading just below $70 uh, a barrel. What kind of impact does this have on, you know, both the, uh, for you as a company, but also for the underlying fundamentals of, of the chemical tanker market, or does it even have an impact? I would say it's uh, twofold. You have the uh, producers who are uh, heavily skewed towards NAFTA as an input. They're of course uh, crying with, uh, you know, as long as the oil price goes up. Uh, but then you have uh, the ones who are really happy are the, you know, the gas-based producers, since the, you know, the gas price is disconnected from oil, uh, and that stimulates, you know, further investments. And I think we saw that last year with oil prices moving above sixty dollars. Uh, per barrel, suddenly you saw a huge, you know, uh, amount of new comments about potential investments in the U.S. Gulf again. Uh, so it's, I would say it's twofold. Uh, for us as a company, uh, higher uh, oil prices, uh, higher bunker costs, uh, but luckily we have a pass-through uh, contract, so, you know, 60% of our exposure. Uh, and then I would say in the end it's all about how tight the market is, whether we can pass on that, you know, the spot volumes and the higher bunker costs there to our customers, but, uh, you know, that has not been the case for the last uh, 10 years. Thank you, and I wanted to touch upon you know one more thing. And Hans, you mentioned it um, earlier, um, and that's, that's you know the crude and the product tankers. Um, you saw in the fourth quarter, you saw VLs going from the worst year in history, making ten thousand a day for the first nine months, to making fifty in, in the fourth quarter. That's carried on to the greater parts of the first quarter. Then you saw product follow, and you've seen um, you know some uh, rally in some product trades, but it still hasn't you know come up to, to the same level as the VLs and and, and the product tankers. So how important is the crude and the product market for chemical tankers? Is it possible to have a good chemical tanker market without the good product market, uh, without the good uh, crude and product market? There, there is correlation, right? There's the traditional correlation that, you know, strong crude market uh, overflows into product and then into uh, chemical. I think what we've seen more and more, though, is that uh, the, the niche markets is really much more a, a question of supply and demand. You know, I don't, if you're really in the parcel business, uh, doing a lot of uh, specialty chemicals. I don't think the crude tanker market has that much to do with it. It really has to do with what's the supply and demand of your, uh, of your market. So, yes, there's correlation, but it's certainly far from perfect. And, and I'd add, I think, we've seen in the, uh, in the weaker markets is that you get that incremental competition. You, oft you often see it on a backhaul and in a challenging market. Um, in particular, Chembulk's changed the way that we actually trade our fleet and we've moved away from these predefined service loops where you're going back to a typical load zone and trading much more in a global trading flow pattern, um, trying to focus more from a west to east perspective but with some flexibility. And, and a key driver of that was we were just noting that whether it was going to be a transatlantic east uh, of Latin America back to the U.S. Gulf, that uh, in those weaker markets you see the incremental competition from the product tanker 
but, but come back to like Hans, I mean, the fundamental supply and demand, both from the chemical tanker side and the product tanker side looks favorable. And when you put that together, um, definitely positive sign in terms of freight for the chemical tanker market. Let me just add also, I mean, to, I mean, when the product tanker market improves, I mean, it just opens up the world for chemicals. Uh, take palm oil, for example, you know, it's grown from 40 million tons to above 50 million tons, of which the majority of that has been, you know, boarded on, on board, on board, on board on uh, MR tankers. Uh, and when these, uh, you know, vessels move back to their, you know, core home market, I mean, that completely, completely changes the dynamic of the chemical tanker market, suddenly having, you know, 11 million tol tons of incremental volumes uh, hitting our fleet. So, uh, and also one thing that is important when, uh, you know, the product tanker improves is that a lot of the, um, you know, the front haul we load with chemicals, and then quite often the back haul is actually CPP trades. So when that improves, we can add the, you know, uh, product, uh, the CPP volumes on board our vessels, instead of, you know, moving into, you know, 10, 12, 14, uh, ports to, to, to load our uh, vessels. So that improves also the utilization and how, you know, the flexibility of our fleet to, to improve our uh, overall earnings. Thank you. And uh, I guess we have to touch upon IMO 2020, and I promise we won't discuss scrubbers. Um, but you mentioned it, Hans, that, and I completely agree with what you mentioned earlier, there's, you know, a big case to be made for product tankers. You're seeing you know, up to maybe three million barrels of HFO being displaced. But if we look apart from what's happening on, on you know, on the product and crude side, are there any other positives that IMO will bring, ar bring around for, for chemical tankers in, in particular? I, I think the big thing is uh, dislocation, right? Uh, that we're going to see two, three percent additional uh, trade uh, flows, maybe more between uh, crude and product. I think that's a really good thing. I, I think, um, it's going to be really interesting, though, to see, and I, I'm going to sort of get very close to scrubbers, but um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how many places there really is going to be HFO available, right? No one is adding uh, infrastructure. Uh, today, the choice you have is HFO in any port, and you have MGO. Uh, the HFO is going to mostly be displaced the only people for whom it really makes sense to put a scrubber in is a big ship. Uh, all the other ports, they're not going to have HFO, I think. They're going to have to have compliant fuel because that's what most of the ships calling them will be uh, burning. So I think the HFO gets replaced by a low sulfur blend and you'll probably still have MGO uh, like you do today. Um, so I think, uh, you know, if you're running chemical ships unless it's a real parcel business, or even an MR in a main port to main port, you're probably struggling uh, because there are bigger ships that should be doing that. So you're going to be spending a lot of time in these non-major ports uh, where I think not only are the trade flows going to increase too, uh, but that's where you're not going to have HFO available after January. Um, and, and actually, I think before that, because they're going to have to clean tanks, clean barges, so it's going to, I think, start in the third quarter. Perfect. I think we have time for a quick, quick response. Here. I, I totally agree. And I think then the, the key other side of that is that while the fundamental supports the the incremental ton mile demand, um, in, in particular on the product tanker side, just this time of transition, you are going to see that greater inefficiency, and that's going to soak up tonnage. 
and in kind of you know generally in the shipping industry and across all the different sectors, uh, when you have that type of activity, you'll see freight rates accelerate as well. So I think you know we can stand on the fundamentals alone, and then some other incremental benefit to be defined, but that is one that's by you know biased to the upside um, for just uh, just bunker logistics on a global basis in these secondary ports being being more difficult for a period of time. Thank you. And we touched a lot on the demand side just quickly before we move over to the capital market side of things. Uh, if you look at supply, as you all alluded to, it's been the primary issue with this with this market for you know the past years. We saw a massing ordering spree come 2012. Now the order book is finally looking you know, uh, a bit more attractive from an owner's point of view. Do you think we'll see another counter-cyclical uh, ordering spree going forward now? Anyone want to take that? Um, I, I think uh, <laughs> uh, don't begin bet against uh, ship uh, owners doing the wrong thing, but <laughs> I, I think uh, there's a much better chance of it going well for the next year or two. Uh, one, I think there is some memory of how painful it's been. Two, the yards are not as uh, desperate. They've taken quite a lot of alternative uh, tanker kind of orders. They don't actually like building stainless steel or chemical tankers. It's a lot more work for the ton steel that you put through your yard, so they don't like it. Not many of them have made money on it. Um, and uh, so... And, and I guess it's also pretty difficult to raise money uh, uh, at the moment. Equity values, no one wants, there's not a public, there's two that trade anywhere close to NAV. So it's very difficult to raise money uh, to build anything. The moment you've built it, it's worth 40% less uh, than when you ordered it. At least uh, that's a typical discount. It's a very good transition actually to my next question. And the banks, I think, uh, there's alternative financing coming in for some of the banks exiting, uh, but that's very expensive. Uh, eight, nine, 10% money, you better have a very, very good project uh, because not many people have made that consistently. Uh, and I would say that the shipping banks are in general still contracting. So I think also on the supply of money, as well as the supply of uh, uh, shipbuilding capacity, the outlook is not bad, although don't bet against the ship owners doing something stupid. Well, I guess we all remember, you know, going into last year, we all, we didn't expect many LNG orders, but we ended up <laughs> with 63. So uh, right. things are happening. Do you want to have a quick comment or? I'd, I'd say the, um, the the other side, of it, I think a number of the existing players have publicly stated that they're focused on debt reduction, operational efficiency, and uh, and, and stated, you know, they're they're not looking to expand further at the yards, and at the same time. Yeah, you have you know less liquidity in terms of dollars flowing to the um, the incremental chemical tanker project. So, uh, you know that you have that visibility for two years from the existing order book, and I'd say that the incremental capital flowing into shipping does seem to be going to other sectors versus versus the more niche chemical sector. Um, and you know, don't anticipate what we saw in the you know 2013, 2014 um, era, but uh, you know. We, we, we take the two to three year window that we have and, and focus on that. Perfect, and I, I wanted to touch upon what, what Hans men, uh, mentioned, and this is for you, Bjorn and Bjorn Christian. Um, I guess uh, for us working with shipping and on the equity side, uh, a major problem is exactly what you mentioned, that you know they're trading so below 
um, so, so far below intrinsic value. I think we internally cover about 60 companies. I think I can count on one hand how many actually trade close to NAV. Um, and I guess with chemical tankers, this is even more profound. You know, Brinkerson, you, uh, you trade at 0.4 times book. Uh, Hans, you trade at half net asset value or something like that. Why is this? I would say, you know, you always get what you deserve. Uh, I guess, you know, the last 10 years have not been good. Um, I think one issue is uh, liquidity, of course, in our shares. It's illiquid. Uh, that being said, I mean, we've been listed for 33 years, and uh, it has never been a liquid stock, but still we were trading, you know, above two times uh, book uh, before, you know, the last uh, decade. Um, so I think one issue is uh, leverage, which we are focusing a lot on. I think, you know, to be able as an industrial shipping uh, company to be able to, we can always survive weaker, you know, cyclical markets from a return basis, but to be able, but, you know, burning cash because we have too much debt uh, is an issue. I think it's an issue for the shipping sector as a whole. Uh, so I think that is, uh, that is one problem. And then, uh, then I think also uh, the amount of work being done to basically explain how chemical tanker works. Uh, I would say we are not spoiled with a lot of, you know, deep dives into how the chemical tanker market works uh, out there. Uh, so I think, you know, to put us higher on the agenda, of course, would, uh, would, uh, would uh, make, uh, make things a little bit easier, but uh, I'm talking for my sick mother, but uh, hopefully, you know, you guys internally can help. Perfect. Anyone else want to comment on that? I, I'd just say, too, when you think about it, even relative to other shipping sectors, given the complexity, there's, you know, there's less readily available benchmarks, data sets. Uh, mm -hmm. You think about all the equity analysts covering it, very easy to go into, you know, the, the, the Clarkson's database and, and download TCEs, more of a challenge when it comes to the chemical side. And the, the education challenge, I agree with Bjorn, it's, uh, it, there's also a balance of that where you want to be able to describe the sector, describe the merits and the earnings power, which differentiates it from product in terms of the operations making a difference on TCE. But at the same time, you can't break out your periodic table and really get into those weeds. And, and balancing that versus, you know, much more simplified stories to be able to be told for a homogeneous crude a parcel moving from one part of the world to another or, you know, frankly, in, in dry bulk, you know, a bunch of rocks. I mean, this is this is a more complex logistical business. Is, is that part of what's behind the, you know, you just acquired Lorene uh, a year back. You kind of, you know, perhaps moving a bit from the chemical side to having more exposure on the product side. Is that part of the reason why you, why you did that transaction? Absolutely. We like to play in the big universe and then differentiate uh, on, on the chemical side when it's there. Also, if you're a, a products per, uh, owner, uh, you have a long only position. The only way to do anything about that is to time charter out, and if you're an operator, you're not ideally set up to do that. You can do something on the FFAs, and the third thing you can do is COAs, but then you need to be on the chemical side. So we like that, that mix. Just to bridge from your last question, you know, most of the new money, uh, the new buildings in the product chemical side have come from non-traditional sources. Uh, you know, Scorpio, Navigate, Diamond S, and so forth. Uh, and what they've seen, all those people behind them, is that it was easy to get in, but very difficult to get out. Uh, that doesn't help uh, the public uh, stock market. There's a lot of overhang in many of the stocks. I think the second thing is scale. Uh, micro caps are not sexy. Uh, a big shipping company is a billion or two billion. 
micro caps are really in the US are three billion. It starts a bit lower, but you need to be over a billion for certain institutional investors to be able to get in. So I think there's a big drive uh, for shipping to go more in that way, to professionalize. Uh, when you look at team uh, in particular, uh, we have a 10, 15% float. Uh, there are six big owners. Uh, so, and, and we're quite often, we're restricted because we're working on a deal and some of these deals take an awful long time. Um, so the market moves a lot on very, very little. Um, and I think uh, governance is also an issue in the public market. I think what's really needed, I think, are four things. You need to be focused. Do, don't, uh, sorry, it's tough to be a conglomerate uh, and get, uh, get the full value. Be focused, uh, have scale. Those two things give you, should give you liquidity and then good governance that aligns shareholders with management or management with shareholders. Because that is not always the case uh, and uh, that I think leads to problems. Um, so I think there's very few people who do those four things uh, and I think it's incumbent on uh, the current uh, public companies to make directions. One, to get that governance, get management aligned with shareholders to get that scale and make choices. Uh, and uh, there are too many, I think, social issues at times, uh, and we need to get over that. Uh, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, uh, but we need to press on, professionalize, uh, and get to uh, at least that billion dollar uh, market cap and the professionalism that goes with it. Perfect. I think we have time for one last question. And, and Bart, um, you're in a bit different position capital structure-wise than, than these other guys here. Sure. Could you think, uh, just talk briefly about you know, the rationale behind you know, how you're set up today? Sure. So we did an Oslo $200 million secured bond offering um, at the beginning of 2018. And when we, when we thought about our capital structure for the go forward at that point in time, uh, we had some bank debt post the uh, restructuring of the company and, um, and felt that we wanted some incremental uh, capital available to take advantage of opportunities that we think will emerge in the market. And at the same time, saw, uh, let's call it debt capital market arbitrage, where uh, for a private company our size, if we went to the traditional bank market and in a, in a standard deal, um, and swap LIBOR, we'd be somewhere in the 6% range, but you know, have a fair number of covenants and, and have an amortization profile. And to be able to, to move to the Oslo market when they were looking to deploy incremental capital and uh, have 8% fixed with um, you know, covenant light and, uh, and capital, capital available to react to, uh, to potential deals in the marketplace and structure a $50 million cap on top of it, that we thought that was appropriate structure for Kembulk at the time, and uh, and one then that you know swiftly executed, and, and it was a decision really that we had made at the end of 17, um, kept it live during the holidays, and then the very beginning of the year um, set out when there were you know the investors had the inflows from the beginning of the year and could put more capital to work. Perfect. I think that was uh, that was our time, and I think the LPG guys are ready to to come up. So um, thank you all for participating. Thank you.